Well, good morning. Would you turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew as we look at God's Word? And uh, Greg, I, I almost want to extend our stay by nine weeks so I can hear that sermon series. Um, that would be such a blessing. Well, we are thankful as a family for you believers here in Sacramento in the way uh, through your prayer and support are uh, enabling us to plant a church in Papua New Guinea and uh, I trust that you'll be here next week and we can give a fuller report but let's turn to the gospel of Matthew Matthew 28 verse 16 and I will read that for us Matthew writes the following But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, let me tell you something about our little village called Mauarero in the mountains of Papua New Guinea. Our community is very poor. They lack basic necessities. Um, Clothes are something that's scarce. Uh, everything that they would like to get their hands on, things like tools, equipment, nails, everything is very hard to access. They have to hike out of the village for a day, then cross a bay on a dinghy, which is about a four or five hour journey, and then they have to come to town, of which they are very frightened. Uh, It's a scary place full of what they call rascals or criminals, and it's a difficult journey for them. Uh, Often they get robbed and so on. Their health care is very poor. We do have a man who is essentially a nurse in our village, but he very seldom has the supplies he needs. Uh, TB is rampant. There's typhoid. Um, People, you scratch yourself, it very often becomes a festering sore and need for antibiotics. So health care is lacking. In the country in general, uh, if we ever need help, we have to get flown out of the country. Uh, Education is at a very low level. Uh, The country in general is working hard at it, but where we live, it is the standards are very low and not many people bother going to school or they leave by grade three or four. There's also no electricity. There are needs like that. They need solar power and there's many, many, many needs within our village practically speaking. Well, the church, what about the church? The church has actually been within our village for since the 1960s. We are a Lutheran church. Typically, whoever got there first, that's what the village becomes. So you get Baptist villages and Lutheran villages, and our region is strongly Lutheran. They've been there for many decades. Uh, the needs of that church are great. They need a pastor, really, at the moment. Their building is starting to decay, and they need a new building. They need new guitars, tambourines, and so on. How about Papua New Guinea as a country? If you go and look at something like uh, the Joshua Project or Operation World, what will you find? Well, you'll find there that Papua New Guinea is 96% Christian, 25% evangelical, and about 1% unevangelized. So based on that information, what would you say our mission in Mauarero should be? 
I can tell you what they want. They want us to come in and give them relief from a very difficult life. They want us to make them flourish and be healthy and wealthy. And to make life easy and to transform life for them in a very practical way. That's what they want. And they're still hoping that that is what will happen. Well, I can tell you that if you look at evangelical missions today, you will find that there are missions organizations and churches that are focused on meeting those particular practical needs that I've just listed for you. Just do this, not now, but your phone should be off, not just on silent. (laughs) Go and Google uh, anything I've listed, healthcare or education or water needs or power needs and put the word Christian or church next to it and you're going to find an organization or a church that is meeting that need. On the other hand, if you look at churches like the one I'm in today or many other organizations like ours, you'll find they don't do any of those things. What they focus on is church planting. And training leaders to go and plant churches or who are already in churches and need training. Here's the thing all of us claim to be fulfilling Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. So the question this morning that I would like to answer from this passage, because we do find in this passage the answer to what does the Bible say missions should be in Mauerero and really anywhere. In Matthew 28, Jesus, our master builder, our architect, gives us his construction plan for building the church. And there are eight aspects to that plan. And as we work through this, what we're going to find is that there are not many options as to what we can do in missions. Really, there is only one. It is a very focused task that Jesus has given us. And it's this. We are to plant churches. That is what missions is. And in these verses, we will find that Jesus commands us to go and plant churches. And I trust that as we work through the passage, this is going to be clear to you from this text. And that anything we do within missions, it needs to fit within that narrow definition. And there are many tasks you and I can undertake, but the focus is church planting. So let's look at the first aspect, and it's this. Who are the laborers of the church's missions? And it's all disciples. Read verse 16 along with me. uh, Matthew writes there, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Now, in Matthew's gospel over here, he's focusing in on the eleven apostles, the disciples, the eleven. Judas has betrayed Christ and he is dead. Jesus has risen and in his gospel he's just spoke spoke about the resurrection in the first verses of 28. He hops over to a false report about Jesus and his resurrection that was spread by the Jews at that time. And then he jumps down and he says, but the eleven proceeded to Galilee. He's focusing in on them, him himself being one of the eleven. He's focused on them because they are Jesus' hand-picked and trained men who will become the foundation of the church. 
without, we don't have much time this morning. We could spend much time in the, the Gospels and the book of Acts to see how it shows us that every disciple, not only the apostles, is the one, oh, we are to labor in this mission. But we don't need to go too far. You can just look at the verses here in Matthew 28. If you look at verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So by its scope, those 11 did not make it everywhere. So it's obvious within the context of this passage, this is something that gets picked up by all disciples, even after these 11 are sent out, then with Matthias the 12th, and then eventually Paul joins them. Also by the duration, look at verse 20. He says there, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is how... That's the duration of this mission. These commands are to go until that day, which we read of in Isaiah chapter 2 today when Jesus returns. And so both by its scope and duration, we know it's all disciples that need to be undertaking this mission. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see that we are told that on this day, it is not just the 11 who are with Christ. In fact, we are told Jesus more than 500 witnessed him and that's most likely this day and so unfortunately we don't have much time to dig into this but really the mission is given to you and I and all disciples and we're all laborers in this because Jesus here in Matthew 28 commands us to do it and that leads into the second aspect of the church's mission and it's this it's the lordship of Christ you know, when Jesus was arrested and then he went through his trials and uh, the Jews and the Romans executed him, it was like a tornado that uh, just scattered the disciples. They all ran away and then it blew away any expectation of seeing Christ again. And yet here he is, he's alive and he's standing in the flesh on this mountain. And so we look at verse 17 and they, we find the following. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. You see, these men were eyewitnesses of Jesus' execution. And so really, by the way, this verse is evidence of the full humanity and the actual death of Christ. Why? These men doubted because they were absolutely convinced that Jesus was dead. They saw it happen. But also, as we know from Romans 1 verse 4, Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And thus we see they worshipped Him. And so Yah was their Messiah, the Son of God, raised from the dead. And what Matthew focuses on is Jesus' declaration about His authority. Look verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Who gave Jesus authority? It was God the Father. He gave him this authority because of his humble obedience. Won't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? You know these verses well. In the midst of calling on the church in Philippi to be united, Jesus draws on the humility of Christ as an example to be followed. And in doing so, Paul gives us the most profound verses on the humanity of Christ. But look what he says there in verses 8 to 11. I'll read that for us. 
Philippians 2, 8, being found in the appearance as a man. So in other words, Jesus is fully man. Paul is saying he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It sounds like Isaiah 2 to me. What a wonderful verse to introduce this. This authority of Christ is given to him by the Father. And Jesus stands up here in Matthew 28. And he says to his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And this authority of Christ is the very lifeblood and the foundation of the church. And the very lifeblood and foundation of our mission. That's why Jesus says in verse 19, go therefore. So based on his authority, he's giving this commission, go therefore. It means that his lordship has implications for the church. And we start to see these implications in the third aspect of our mission. And it's this, the right of the church's mission, the prerogative of Christ. Look at verse 18 with me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. We hear much talk today, nowadays, about rights. Most of it is just unbiblical and the wishful thinking of fallen mankind. But we as disciples of Christ, we do have the right to fulfill the mission Jesus has given us. Because Jesus has prerogative. That's a great word. It's not a word I would typically use in a sermon. But it, has, uh, it is perfect for what we see uh, in the scriptures. The Oxford English Dictionary. I use the Oxford. I'm from British stock. So, you know, the Webster's does not feature in my uh, library. Oxford. They define it as follows. Listen to this. Uh, the special right or privilege exercised by a monarch or a king or a head of state over all other people, which overrides the law and is in theory subject to no restriction. The secondary definition is this, the special right or privilege possessed by a person, a class, or a body. That is, God gave Jesus prerogative. He has the special right over all authorities, whether they be angelic, demonic, or earthly. He overrides all laws of all institutions in heaven and on earth. He stands above them. He's subject to none of them. He has prerogative. And as our body, that has, as his body, the church, that has been mediated to you and I. We have the right to fulfill our mission. That means that when we as the church obey and fulfill this mission Jesus has given us, there is no authority and no law on this earth, either on earth or in heaven, that can prevent us from doing so. The apostles that day understood this. Turn over to the book of Acts, just, just a few pages over to the book of Acts, and we get to Acts 5. 
the church began acts 2 and it's it's grown by thousands and the apostles are teaching and preaching in the temple area they are doing great miracles and the name of christ is being proclaimed constantly and many thousands are being saved and this these jewish leaders hated christ and executed him and they are jealous we are told up in verse 17 of chapter 5 of all this attention that's being drawn to these apostles as they teach and preach and so in they get arrested the the sanhedrin sends people to arrest the uh apostles and you know what happens here the angel opens the prison says go and preach and when they come to fetch them and bring them before the council they're not there because they're outside preaching again and so they bring them in before them and verse 28 the high priest questions them saying this is acts 528 we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name and yet you have filled jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us well peter knows he has the right given by christ mediated authority to disobey the law and so he answers correctly in verse 29 we must obey god rather than men look at verse 42 i love this after they are beaten by the Sanhedrin and told to stop doing this, what do they do? Every day in the temple from house to house, they keep on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So this has implications for us and our mission as the church. If you are a disciple of Christ and you are laboring at fulfilling the church's mission, you have the right to do so even when the law says you may not. And so as we see our countries, it's not only the US, it's Australia, it's South Africa, in fact it's all over the world, as we see increasingly that laws are being passed that uh, prevent us from preaching against sin that outlaw biblical counseling outlaw conversions to christ even preaching christ even reading texts from the scripture that address these issues like sin and turning to christ we must still fulfill our mission we need to hear the words of god to joshua where he said to him be strong and very courageous and you know, we are faithful citizens. There is no more faithful citizen in a country than a Christian. We love to obey. But as these things become increasingly what we are facing, we know that Christ has said, keep preaching the gospel. Keep making disciples. And we can do it with a clear conscience. Because He is Lord. And he has said to us, obey me. And that authority is mediated to us. Well, he is Lord and his lordship is the foundation of the fourth aspect of our mission, which is this. The message of the church's mission. We need to proclaim Christ as Lord. This is somewhat of an implication out of this passage. He says, go therefore and make disciples. And in order for us to fulfill our mission, we need to preach him. We need to preach Christ, that that is the heart of our message, is Christ is Lord. That is the very heart of the gospel. And we actually see that in Acts again. I'll, I'll turn there, you can turn there with me if you like. 
chapter 2, verse 36. Uh, Peter stands up and it's the very first sermon. The church is formed. The Holy Spirit has come. And look at how it ends. Look at how he concludes all these texts that he has just exposited for them and shows them that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. Chapter 2 verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified he proclaims him as the lord the lordship of christ determines the message that we preach as as we fulfill this mission of ours we preach the fact that christ is lord but we also preach the consequences of his lordship you see us humans fallen sinful humans are consciously rebellious we are conscious we consciously reject Christ we consciously reject God our creator and so when we stand up and we preach the gospel we preach the lord jesus christ the consequences of that are if he is the lord it means he can tell us what to do he is the authority he has the right to say this is how you must think this is how you must act this is how you must treat your neighbor this is your relationship with me and as re rebels, conscious rebels against that, we need to preach there's a consequence. He's just and He will judge us. And He will not leave the guilty unpunished. And therefore we need to repent. Acts 2, if you're still there, verse 37 Having proclaimed Jesus as Lord, he says, it says there, Luke records for us, when they heard this, they pierced to the heart, and Peter and the rest of the apostles, they said to them, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jump down to verse 40. With many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse gen generation. That's the consequence of Christ's lordship. We must also preach the exclusivity, because only Christ is Lord. And so we see in Acts 4 verse 12 that the church proclaims this. There is... Uh, they, uh, Peter and John proclaim this. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven, no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Let me tell you, in Mauerero, if we went in and we did not preach Christ as Lord, what would have happened? All they simply would have done is added Him as another sort of spirit or God or person to which they need to exercise some kind of ritual to their already existing pagan beliefs to the spirits and the forces in nature that's all they would do if you just said believe in Jesus he's come to uh, do good for you I suspect that they never understood the Lordship of Christ from the beginning. Because when we got there, let me, there were really twisted views of who Christ and God the Father are and who the Holy Spirit is. Um, 
Very often I've heard preachers there say that the representative of God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are Germany, Australia and America. How that works, I don't know. <laughs> but even worse, one of the clans, as we got to know them, said this. Jesus is the son of a very evil and vindictive God. This God hates humanity and does malicious things to them. However, he had a son. And when his son, Jesus, saw he, the, the, the passion, the desires, the way of the Father, he rejected that and he came to earth to, sh to do good to us and to show us how to do good. I mean, that's, that's what a whole people clan within our village believed. However, when we preached the gospel to them, we proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord. And they learned the fact that Jesus is, is Lord, not nature and the spirits in which they believed. And that through Him and for Him, all things were created. He is Lord. They learned the fact of His Lordship. They also learned the consequences because He is the Creator and He is the Messiah and God has given Him all authority in heaven and earth, they are guilty before Him as rebels and sinners and they need to repent and come to Him for salvation. And that it is only through faith in Him and His work on their behalf on the cross that they can be saved. And that it is only through Him, the exclusivity of Christ's work on their behalf and not baptism through their Lutheran beliefs and not through their rituals and beliefs, their pagan rituals and beliefs, through none of those but through faith and repentance in Christ can they be saved. The Lord Christ alone is their hope of salvation. And it is only through that message that today we have believers in the village of Mauerero. And so what does Jesus say about our mission as the church? He says all the laborers are the laborers are all disciples. That's the first aspect. The second is that the foundation is his, his authority. Third, we've seen that his lordship, his authority gives us the right to fulfill our mission. And the fourth, the message is to preach him as Lord. But where does he want us to go and do this? Where do we fulfill our mission? Verse 19, back in Matthew 28. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. This is the fifth aspect of our mission, the scope. It's all the nations. You see, because Jesus is Lord of all the earth, His church construction project covers all the earth. It covers all the nations. And so we must go out and declare to all men everywhere that they should repent and believe in Christ. And as you know from the Old Testament, it has always been God's desire to save men from all nations. Think of His promise to Abraham, Genesis 12, verse 3. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And in Isaiah 49, verse 6, God says of His Messiah, I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. For us as the church, as we labor in the mission Christ has given us, this has implications. We must not limit ourselves to build ourselves up in the local body alone. 
we must send out mature believers to plant and edify churches where there are no biblically sound churches. And we must do so among people groups where there is no gospel and people groups other than our own. There's much more we can say there. Really what we need to be doing is like a kind of urban sprawl, a church sprawl. We just keep spreading everywhere as Christ builds His church. And we see how we do that in the sixth aspect, and that is the tasks of the church's mission, verses 19 and 20. Let's read those together. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The first task is go. Because Jesus is Lord of all the earth, we must go to all the earth. We are not to be lazy laborers. We are to be diligent. Family, friends, work colleagues. It starts there. You make disciples. You go to those people around you first. You go. If it's human and alive, it's a target for the gospel. That is how we should think about this. We need to be intentional. We need to pray for opportunities and take them. We need to make opportunities and preach Christ. He wants us to take every opportunity to proclaim Him as Lord. Think about the believers in Acts. You have the persecution of the church which starts with the stoning of Stephen. And by the time you get to Acts 11, what do you find? Ordinary disciples like you and me started preaching Christ up in, uh, in Cyprus and then they went over to Antioch and they preached to the Jews. But then they were like, why are we preaching only to the Jews? Let's preach to the Greeks also. It's that church born out of ordinary disciples preaching the gospel as they spread around that eventually Paul and Barnabas became their pastors and out of that church they, they were sent out. We need to be constantly pushing outward, constantly going to all the nations. Go and make disciples of all the nations. What we have here is we should be standing there always looking to the horizon. Jesus says in John 10, I have sheep not of this fold and I must bring them in also. Think of that. That's a great image. We Think of the, the fields. The earth is the field. And there are sheep out there that Jesus wants to bring into his flock. And as you go out, as you cross those fields to find the sheep in other nations, you must start here. And so you should be looking to the next suburb. Is there a mature church there? Should we plant there? The next town? You must walk through those fields. The next cultural group? Your na next nation and amongst which you plant the gospel might actually be in the city. Right? That's the nature of our world today. It's very mixed up. It might be the next cultural group, the next, there might be a whole language group right here that's a mission field. <clears throat> or it might be the next nation. But we must go. 
Acts 1 verse 8, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. We are in the danger of being in the same position as the Jews were at that time. They were very inward focused. They were very focused on themselves. And you know, we're very churched. And we can become very inward focused. And so we must heed these words of Christ and not get comfortable doing church just here. We must constantly be going. And looking for those opportunities. We took it literally and we went to a mountain range called in Latin the ends of the earth. That is where Mauerero is. Finister Mountains, which is the ends of the earth. Well, our second task is found in verse 19. And that is make disciples. Make disciples. When Jesus says this to the apostles and the disciples on this day, all he is saying is go and do what I've just done for almost three years. Jesus went around to all the villages of Israel, of, the, of that area, the towns, the villages. And what was he doing? He was preaching the word. And he was calling people to believe in him and to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And those who believed in him became his disciples. They followed him eagerly and listened to his teaching and they obeyed him. And when you think of the word disciple, just think of that. A believing, obedient learner. That's a disciple. And how we make disciples is to do exactly what Christ did. We go out and we proclaim Him. We proclaim the Word of God. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1.23. And I want to emphasize here how you make disciples is preaching the Word. Peter says, For you have been born again not of seed which is imperishable, Sorry, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. That is how you become born again. That is how you become a disciple. Let me ask you, how did you become a disciple? Was it your father or mother or, or a grandparent, someone in your family, preaching Christ to you, reading the Bible to you, teaching the scriptures to you perhaps you are a parent and it's your child who did that for you in my case my grandfather was 90 and on his deathbed and all his life had rejected Christ but in God's timing I was able to spend the last few weeks with him and all I did was preach Christ and God saved him Is it a Sunday school teacher? Someone who invited you to church? A Bible study on a college campus? Did you come for counseling and you got saved? In all those instances, the word of God was proclaimed to you and Christ was preached from the word and you became a disciple. In our village, our people can say a missionary came and preached the gospel. Please note, though, That just doing good Bible-based deeds does not make disciples. The miracles of Christ, which did great good for the people of Israel. Great good. They got free food. Sickness was eradicated. Demons were cast out of the country. 
That was never the purpose of Jesus' ministry. And you'll never see that stated as the purpose of his ministry. Rather, all those things were signs of his being the Messiah. They attested to his person. And they were always there to attest to the message that was being proclaimed. A disciple is not a man or woman who is excited about Jesus because Jesus makes him flourish in this world. And causes him to have a better material life, his best life now. That is not a disciple. How does the word of God point us to look at this? The, the, the scriptures focus on the message preached. What is the message? Luke 4 verse 36. The people respond to Christ's preaching. What is this message? That's the focus. Even after the miracles they say, what's this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. In verse 43 of Luke 4 it says, He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for this I was sent. Jesus says my purpose is not the miracles, it's to go and proclaim, to preach. And in Acts, if you do a survey of Acts, the way Luke speaks about the spread of the church and the, the making of disciples, listen how he describes it over and over and over. Acts 12 verse 24 is an example. It is the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Doing good deeds as a Christian in the name of Christ does not make disciples. I bring this up because many in evangelical missions today are focused on doing good deeds and not planting churches and not making disciples through the proclamation of God's word. One missiologist writes the following, Hesselgrave is his name, quote, people of goodwill of all religions and no religion can and do address the human need for food and clothing and shelter and health and education and justice and so on. But Christians and Christians only can be expected to preach the gospel when men and women of all nations to Jesus Christ and establish churches that will worship and witness until Christ returns. Only you and I have that task. The most wicked Worst government can go and do social good deeds, but they cannot preach the gospel. That is our task. Friends of mine, Brian Biederbach and Joel James, wrote the following in a Master Seminary article critiquing uh, the social justice view of missions. They said, The Apostle Paul did not say that God was well pleased to save sinners through the foolishness of the gospel mercied but rather through the foolishness of the message preached. Preaching Christ from the word, that is what makes disciples. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1 verse 16. So let me share with you what would happen, what would have happened in Mauarero if we went in and we helped them we saw missions as helping them with poverty and health care and medical and school. But we did not go in and preach Christ as Lord. Let me tell you what would have happened. Our people are animists. That means they believe that all the plants and the rocks and the earth 
is filled with a life force. Okay? It is not metachlorians. This is real, right? That's where that idea comes from. The idea that the earth and everything is filled with a life force. There are spirits dwelling in the plants and the rocks and in nature. They believe that you can speak and your words have power. If either for good or for evil. They believe in the manipulation of those forces. Either for good or for evil. And anything that happens in your life is the result of those forces working in on you. And therefore in all that you do. All the rituals you need to keep. And the words and the way you need to speak. That impacts your life. And what others are doing to you impacts your life. Now, in all of that system, their stated goal is this. By manipulating those forces and doing the right rituals and saying the right things, the result will be no disease, excellent health, wealth, right, and an easy life. That is the goal of every person in our village through, and the means is animism. Well, in come the church decades ago, and all that they did was bring new rituals, baptism and communion. And they simply added that, so now they call themselves Christians, and all they've done is they've added the ritual of baptism. Now they become a Christian, and the way they wash away their sins regularly is by taking communion. So communion is very important because all the sins you've accumulated to that day, you need to wash it away. And then through acts of obedience to the laws and commands of the word, you're a Christian. But do you know why they do that? They say it in the church almost every Sunday. If we do these things, we will get health, wealth, and an easy life. Now, let me put the two together. If we came in as missionaries and we focused on giving them excellent education, giving them access to what they call cargo, to things, and we give them clothes, and we bring them solar power, and we bring them better sanitation and more water, and we basically give them good health and wealth, and we make life easy for them. Do you know what happens? You cement paganism. You make them hardened in their wickedness and their false animistic beliefs. And you do not make disciples. Do you see that? That is horrendous. There is only one way you make disciples and that is by proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord from the Word of God. There is no other way. Well, what do you do with disciples? You baptize them. And so that's the third task that we have. We baptize those disciples as a public declaration that they are the sons and daughters of the triune God who have fully submitted to the Lordship of Christ in faith and repentance. And the way what God does with disciples is He gathers them together in local congregations. And they are dedicated to learning more from Christ their Savior and obeying Him. You are born from the Word and you continue in the Word. As Edie Burns says, it's reaching and teaching. That is what happens. You reach and then there's continued 
teaching. And that's the fourth task Jesus gives us is that we are to teach them, teaching them, verse 20, to observe all that I have commanded you. As disciples, we are dedicated to Christ's word. And I'm going to steal something from your texts. Yeah, John 14, verse 23. Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. We need to be taught the Bible. We need to be discipled. We need to be counseled. And this takes place in the local church. We don't all have the same role, but every one of us here is involved. The primary task is that of the elders that God calls to shepherd and teach and preach and proclaim sound doctrine and refute error and be examples of righteousness and godliness. That is how God has designed the local body. But think about what Paul says in Titus. Older women are to teach the younger. Mature believers are to disciple those who are immature. Parents teach their children. You and I as friends in the local body care for each other, disciple each other. It's a task that all of us are given to some degree. And this is God's design. And when it happens in the local congregation, in the context of the local church, and the church fulfills these tasks, it then sends out disciples to do the same elsewhere and it's that mechanism that the church then fulfills their mission don't miss this this is the point what should missions be in Mauerero? it's this christ building his church christ builds his church as we go make disciples baptize them and teach them all that Christ has commanded. That is how Christ has been building His church from them up to today. If you look at the book of Acts, just go and read that and think about how they fulfilled this mission. They, the church established Acts 2, Day of Pentecost. It's the church that then proclaimed Christ. They preached Him. They gathered together. They were dedicated to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And out of that, they continue to spread and plant more churches. And we are direct descendants of that work today. And thus, we carry on that work all over the world, even as far as Mawarero. We know this mission can be daunting. It was immediately a means of persecution for the early church. And even without persecution, this world hates God. And so it's daunting. And so the seventh aspect we find is that we must undertake this mission with confidence because Christ is with us. Verse 20, Jesus says, Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. These words are so precious. You should cling to them daily as a local body here in Sacramento, Christ is with you. As you preach Him and model Him within your local community, Christ is with you. 
You need boldness to proclaim Him to a colleague, to the man sitting next to you on the plane. Christ is with you. It is a great encouragement to us out there in the jungle. He enables us. He is with us. And He is not distant either. He is with us and He is not temporary either. And so the final aspect we see is the duration of the church's mission. It's until Christ's return. Verse 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to think about the church. In the scriptures we find that the church is the bride of Christ. We are told that the church is the body of Christ of which He is the head. We are told that Christ gave Himself for the church. And in Matthew 16 we see that Jesus said He will build His church. And we've seen that He has given to the church gifted leaders so that they can equip the church to serve one another. And to continue building up His body the church is it any surprise to you and I then that missions is church planting the needs in Mawarero and in fact everywhere in the world are many and varied but we've learned today through these eight aspects in Matthew 28 that the mission Jesus has given us is this narrow it is this focused we are to go to all the nations, make disciples, preach Christ as the Lord, do so boldly knowing He is with us. We are to baptize them and then we are to continue to preach and teach that same word out of which we are born so that we will grow and Christ will be formed in us. And then that local body will do the same elsewhere. And thus Christ builds His church. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we, in a world that is as hostile as it has ever been against you, we need to be reminded from these verses what our mission is and to keep our eyes fixed on the horizon to make more disciples, to preach Christ our Lord, and to do so with much courage and much boldness, knowing that Jesus our Lord is with us and that your authority extends to all the earth. Lord, you have sheep all over. Yet they do not get drawn in if the gospel is not faithfully proclaimed because salvation comes through obedience to the gospel. I praise you and thank you for River City Grace who you are using to continue to build the church here in Sacramento and all over the world. We thank you that it is by your grace and your enabling and your equipping in the lives of every believer in this body that this work continues. And I pray for the grace for everyone here to continue to proclaim Christ, to continue to model Christ, and to continue to be bold and courageous day by day, and continue to love and care for one another, and then continue to send out men and women to go and preach the gospel and your church be built and the Father be glorified. 
We thank you that this is all through your enabling grace and not of ourselves, but of you. And we pray this in our Savior's precious name. Amen.